Welcome back to another sparkling edition of The Thought Police, the one podcast that makes you think, with me, Mike Graham, and Matt Kelly, uh, the publisher of The New European. Very good afternoon to you, Matt. Hello, mate. You okay? Yeah, I'm very well, very well. I know it's been another fascinating little period of, uh, of a week since we last spoke. Uh, there's been loads more happening. Um, people urinating in places they shouldn't, people getting arrested uh, for doing things that they shouldn't. Um, Marcus yeah. Rashford teaching the government how to make social policy. <laughs> I don't know where to begin, really. What a great... What, I mean, what an absolute silver lining in this massive black cloud we're mm. living through yeah. to see... An intelligent, young, black, 22-year-old footballer with all the money in the world able to move people to that degree mm. and and be, for me, for, you know, a, a great representative of what modern Britain can well, and should be. Do you know what? I mean, not only was I so impressed with the idea in the first place, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but we can talk about that later on, but the way that he did it, the way that he also was so humble about it, he didn't crow, he didn't allow himself to be kind of hijacked by any political party. He just said, isn't it great to see what we can do when we all get together? And what a great message. He's obviously just a nice, decent fella. Yeah. And, you know, it's very easy to forget that. And we mustn't forget that, you know, there are lots of real arseholes out there. But mm. the vast majority of people are nice, decent people. Yeah. And I think uh, the more we hear about that, sometimes in the media, the only thing we talk about is all the stuff, you know, and, and then someone like Marcus Rashford comes along and you, you get a bit of a reminder that actually there's lots and lots of good positive yes. thoughts and actions out there. Well, this is it. And I mean, I spoke to Peter Hitchens this week, as I always do on my show, um, and he was put, the question was put to him that the media was to blame for an awful lot of the disquiet in this country and people were pointing at the, uh, the absurdity, and I'm not sure I'd go along with this, but you may do, of the, daily, of the Mail on Sunday, on Sunday showing a picture of a massive bundle going on, a massive riot, you know, uh, you know and what has happened to Great Britain or where did Britain lose its soul or some kind of headline like that. And everybody, of yeah. course, was going, well, it's because of the Daily Mail. You know, it's because of all these headlines yeah. you've been running for years and years and years. It's turned everybody feral and against each other. And I've never believed that. You know, I've never believed that we as a country have become so derelict of, of anything regarding humanity or regarding love for one another or just the ability to get along and tolerate one another. I've never believed that. I've always believed that those are the, the minority voices in this country, and many of them work in newspapers and, and in television and in radio, um, who just feed the, the, the beast, you know? Yeah, well, I think that's true. Lots of people, I think we touched on this last week, lots of people make a very good living, thank you very much, about, you know, around making sure that people are angry yeah. and always, feel, you know, defensive and scared. Yeah. And it, it's so easy to live your life feeling defensive and scared, but right. you've only got one. So I think that's a terrible yeah. shame if people do do that. The Daily Mail, I mean... When you see those front pages uh, crush the saboteurs, yeah. I'll tell you one thing, I think, about that in particular. It's impossible that they would run those front pages today. Because mm. I think, I mean, we differ on this, but I do think that Paul Dacre had a, a deep, deep reserve of nastiness within him, that he was, and he would come out now and again and froth at the mouth and wind people up and go well over the top. And I think, you know, we could all be better off without that. 
Yeah, well, listen, I have a great deal of regard for him as an in, as an individual newspaper guy. I don't I don't know him personally at all. Um, in fact, uh, I think I've only ever met him once, and that was at a gathering where there was loads of other people. It was one of those big journalistic dinners, you know. Um, I admire what he did, and I agree with you that he did sometimes go over the top. What he was very good at, and what all of these polemicists are very good at, is absolutely knowing their audience, and he really knew his audience. Um, but something yeah. maybe changed over the course of the last 10 or 15 years where the audience maybe wasn't, wasn't as nuanced or something and, and, and they took something like that, Crush the Saboteurs, and turned it into a kind of um, mantra and turned it into yeah. a reason to actually crush people. Yeah. I mean, it just sort of like the language. When you th- I mean, you and I have both spent our lives sitting down, looking at an article and thinking to ourselves, how are we going to present this in a newspaper? Yeah. And so we know there's a process of thought, you know, and you're trying to do a number of things. You're trying to get attention. You're trying to crystallize the story so that people understand the essence of, right. of, of what's going on. But you're also trying to communicate a reason that people should care about yes. reading this. Well, you also right. want them to look at a headline and go, fucking hell, I'll never read that. Yes. Well, well precisely. But if you... If you if that's all you're trying to do, then I think what happens inevitably is you fall into traps of your own making mm. and crush the saboteurs. I think if you when you sit down and, and think hard about the fact that somebody has gone through that kind of mental process and arrived at the words "crush the saboteurs," yeah. then I think there's something wrong with the thinking of that person. Mm. I really do. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Interestingly enough, when, again, talking to Peter Hitchens, his column had written a piece uh, on Sunday about, you know, the kind of the reason why we're in such a terrible place now is because the left have kind of taken over Britain. And I think he's right Mm. about that in the sense that all the, you know, the civil servants and the kind of the champagne socialists who are running the universities of this country and all of that. And people were incredulous saying, well, hang on a minute, you know, the Tories are in power. They've got an 80-seat majority. And that wasn't what he meant. But he dated it all back to uh, the sort of Diana period, you know, when Princess Diana died and Britain was overcome with grief. And he quoted from, funnily enough, uh, the Daily Express headline, Show Us You Care, which was aimed at the Queen, which I actually wrote. (laughs) And I did have the heart to tell him. Um, Yeah, because, I mean, that was one of those things where we all sat around. and, And the one thing that Richard Addis was very good at, and many people didn't think he was a great editor, but the one thing he was very good at was he would come in and say, what's the mood of the nation today? You know, yes. because a bit like now um, with COVID and a bit like Brexit, you know, you're doing the same story day in, day out. Same with you and the new European. You're doing the same story effectively for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And you have to find new yeah. ways of doing it. So this one yeah. particular day, it was like, well, why is the flag of uh, uh, Buckingham Palace not even at half mast? You know, why is it not being flown at half mast? She's dead. You know, what's wrong with the royal family? They were still in Balmoral and all that, you know. And, and, yeah. and we came up with this show us you care. Mark. I remember we did something similar. Yeah, to Mirror. I mean, it wasn't a unique headline, but that... No, but headline was, ours was Speak to Us Mom. You yes. Know, it was kind of, yours was a better headline. But I, I'll tell you what I think the difference, just as you were talking then, it occurred to me that Richard Addis and Piers Morgan and all of these editors who understood uh, that they were there to represent an audience. I think mm. they came in and said, what is my audience thinking? Yes. Right? And how can I, how can I articulate for them what they're thinking in a way that makes sense of it. Yeah. I think Paul Dacre came in and thought, what should my audience be thinking and how can I get them to think this? Right. Or and maybe I- or maybe he was, uh, he was reflecting what they were thinking, um, but he didn't think hard enough about what they were thinking. I don't know whether any... 
you know, the Daily Mail had, what was it, one, one and a half million, two million buyers at the yeah. time? Yeah. And I, I can't imagine too many of those uh, Daily Mail readers woke up over breakfast and thought, you know what, crush those saboteurs. <laughs> they must be crushed. No. But they probably... They probably thought it after they'd read the Daily Mail. Yes. You know. I mean, you know as well as I do, Matt, that lots of people buy papers for lots of different reasons. And the, the Mail, in particular, was bought by an awful lot of people, not for its news at all, but for all the other bits and pieces well, that went around it. Mate, the biggest complaints I've ever provoked in a newspaper, and, and this is a fairly competitive list, but the biggest one was when I, on my first week at the Daily Mirror, hmm. redesigned the puzzle pages of the Daily Mirror and placed the crossword across the fold of the paper. Oh, God. The paper yeah. Honestly, mate, the switchboards melted down. I was almost fired. What bloody idiot right. think of doing a crossword puzzle when it was folded in half on your knee? Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. We shouldn't just think that the news agenda is, is the be-all and end-all. No, because again, I mean, there have been several instances where I've listened to people speaking and, you know, you and I are news junkies, we read all the stuff that's going on, we know what's going on, we like to think we do anyway. You know, but the vast bulk of the population don't. You know, one, because they're not really interested, two, because they can't be bothered, three, uh, because they haven't maybe got the time, they're too busy doing other things, you know. So therefore, I'm a great believer in kind of, uh, you know telling people what's going on and i've had to sort of look at what i do here at talk radio because what i don't want to do uh, is be one of those people who's accused of of you know riling people up and I'm, I'm being a much i would say i'm now much more considered about everything knowing how much more serious this is in a way than brexit yeah. you know because where we are right now is quite a dangerous place and i'm, I'm very conscious of that and i, I don't want to be accused and i don't want to do it either uh, of, of of riling people up you know yeah, and I don't think you could be accused of that. I think there's a world of difference between like vigorous, intense questioning and debate, yeah. and and strong opinion, to uh, some others who you know who trade off on like a cynical agenda-driven. This is how I'm going to make you think, whether it's true or not. Right. You know, that's that's not what your game is, but it, it is the game of some people, unfortunately. Yes, it is, and I hope that people can see through that, and I wonder whether enough time has now passed. I mean, the government, I thought, were quite clever uh, in doing this thing about the six-people rule, um, hopefully puts an end to these violent demonstrations uh, of all kinds, but on the other hand, I'm seeing today, I think, that, and I don't know, I, I haven't found out for sure, but there was some kind of demo in Oxford last night, which was peaceful, which was fine, um, and there's going to be another one tonight, supposedly. Now, I don't know where that leaves us if there's not supposed to be a protest with more than six people, but there's a few hundred people there. Are the police going to wade in and arrest them? Well, the police, I mean, thank God police in Britain have always taken a sort of common sense approach to, to policing, and I presume that won't change tonight. You know, mm. they'll probably very nicely kettle them somewhere and let them all dissipate under right. the steam of their righteousness. But the the, the point about um, where does this all go, at some point they've got to take those stupid boxes off the statues. Yes. At some point well, I'm told, in, incredibly, right, this this all, this is kind of how ironic uh, the world is in which we live, they're taking the Churchill um, protection off. Do you know why? Why? Because Emmanuel Macron's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and you think of all the reasons, right, for those people who hate foreigners and who hate, you know, yeah. the European Union, they're taking it off because the president of France is popping over. Do you know what? I w- I, you'll disagree with this completely. I would remove all of those statues permanently. I, I think the idea of statues, the more you think about it, it's such a bloody, like a, a drag on progression. You know, you worship Why? these people. But because I think 
the past is the past and we should all be aware of it and um, and aware of it in all its full diversity and colours. But you've got to keep looking forward all the time. And we litter our streets with emblems of the history rather than thinking about the future and what we could be. And I would take them all down except the ones that are too people like the cenotaph and you know the tomb of the unknown soldier and all of that i think that we should worship ourselves as a an idealized vision of what we can be and try and move towards that rather than keep Uh. looking back and saying oh wasn't it great 60 70 years ago you know and then having to argue with somebody about the fact that oh well actually you know he was a bigot don't you because he said this when everybody but you see you're absolutely right in one thing and that is that i totally disagree with you because i mean (laughs) You cannot say that... I mean, maybe I'm just an unusual character, but I do not walk around Parliament Square and think we're always looking back. All like, Look at all these terrible old statues of these old men uh, or sometimes old women. Um, you know, that's going to somehow stop our progression uh, through the 21st and the 22nd centuries. I don't see it like that. I see it as a kind of a, um, a, a, a almost a memory, a sort of living memory of people who did something significant. I don't even necessarily... Um, think that I would I would approve of every single person who's who's got a statue made of them, you know. I mean, Bodicea, for example, would you take that down? Yeah, or Boudicca, or whatever I mean, she's called. But it's a lovely, it's a beautiful work of art. Apart from anything else, it's you know, it's down on the embankment, down near Cleopatra's Needle. You know, it's a beautiful kind of, um, it's a beautiful, you know, reenactment of her in on a chariot. Is it? I mean, I just like quite like looking at it. If you're into butch women riding chariots around the fields of Britain, then keep it as a work of art. But honestly, are you celebrating Boudicca? No. no, you're not. No, I'm not. I'm just oh, all I'm doing is I'm looking at a work of art and remembering that there was a time uh, when somebody like that lived, and it, that's all it is. It's like when I, if I go to the British Museum and I walk around the the, the 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 Egyptian section, you know, I'm not hankering back to a time when the Egyptians ruled the world and, and wanted to build pyramids and all of that. It's just, it's just interesting. It's history. Yeah. Well, OK, all right, that's a fair comeback. What I would say is, though, let me modify my, my rather dogmatic position yes. by saying I do think we in this country in particular spend far too long thinking about some mythical, glory, glorious past yeah. and not enough time thinking about actually what's wrong with us right now so that we can become better in the future. That's no, and I listen, think. I take that point, but I don't think that many people really do that, do they? I mean, I certainly don't. I don't hearken back to it. I mean, I've always said, and I've been saying it a lot in the last couple of weeks, you know, we have never been a more prosperous nation than we are now. People have never had better opportunities to do things, you know, and I refuse to believe that we are somehow, um, you know, trapped in, 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 you know, the 60s when things were a lot different for everybody. You know, I mean, my yeah. sister went to work in the city of London in the 80s when the Big Bang happened because Margaret Thatcher freed up all the stock exchanges and the money markets, right? Now, before that, you couldn't get a sniff of the stock market business unless you were born into it, unless you were the son of somebody very wealthy or your family were in stockbroking uh, or you were the son of a millionaire or a lord or something like that. It was all male. Uh, it was all privileged. And, and she blew that apart. And suddenly, yeah. ordinary people... Boys and girls from Essex were able to go and work in the city of London, make a fortune and move on up. You know, and that's, to me, that's what social mobility is all about. I think in some ways maybe we're saying the same thing but just coming at it from different angles. Mm. I, I mean, I, I, it's, it, it, there's a paradox, isn't there, where people hark back to a time where people were better mannered and mm. things were more, you know, England was a nicer place and it was all, you know, before it got too full and too busy and everybody was after money and all of that. But then you think about, well, what was it really like? Well, 
at the time they were dropping bombs on, on yeah. countries, you know, right. and blowing Nagasaki to bits, and and you know there was there were gangs roaming the East End of London, carving right. holes in and Glasgow, you know, and Glasgow and Liverpool and mm. the rest of it. So yes, progress gets made all the time. I just think, you know, really. The older I get, the less sentimental I get, funnily enough. When yeah. I was younger, I was always fascinated with history. Now I'm I'm really now thinking about, bloody hell, I've maybe only got 20, 30 years left. Right. Well, what could you do? Or but also, you don't you think for? that having children has, has probably altered that vision for you as well? Because you want to think ahead to, to the life that your children are going to be able to have and, you know, the world that they are going to want to live in. I mean, I know for sure, for example, I, I got a great deal more understanding of a woman working in the workplace when my daughter started doing it than any other yeah. woman I'd ever known because, you know, she would tell me about the things that would happen to her. She would tell me about the, the horrible leches in the office, you know, and yeah. thankfully there's a lot less of that now than there used to be. But I had a much greater understanding of it because of my daughter, not because of a wife or a girlfriend or anybody else, you know. And I think that when you have kids, you look forward more and look back less. Because you're forced to... Because, one, they force you to confront the, the, the reality of yeah. their lives. Because, you know, you can't... There comes a point with a kid where you can't carry on telling them what they should be thinking. You know, no, of course. And, 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 I'm, you know, on the, particularly, you're so right about women in the workplace especially because that, to me, that, I think, has been the biggest sort of social revolution in workplaces in my lifetime. Yes. 20, 30 years ago, the amount of mansplaining and patronising and, and, you know, touching up yeah. and sexual... I mean, oh, unbelievable! You and I could both tell would curl hairs. Yeah, and now, of course, uh, the women uh, stand up and don't take it anymore, which right. is fantastic. I think. Yes, absolutely, as it should be. But also, I think that the, the, what you're alluding to, and you almost made the, the leap, but you didn't quite. The people who talk, I think, about you know how it was much better in the old days, and you know before we were overcrowded, and before we were kind of you know taken over is a kind of slightly racist point of view, I think. And I think very few people have it in this country, but it's a sizable enough number, I suppose, uh, for it to be heard. But I can always, you know, you can always tell, for example, when people ring in, um, you know, where they're going to go. And, and, you know, there's a couple of, you know, what you might say are kind of uh, key words or there might be sort of key phrases or people who hate London now because it's not English anymore you know and you and yeah. you know so I think that I think that those who hearken back to a, a, a rosier time are really talking about a time when there weren't so many immigrants I think you're absolutely right and I think um yeah I think you've hit the nail on the head and you have made the leap that I was sort of edging towards yeah. but it's uh, and there will be people know, you... who listen to this who say oh here we go again a couple of bloody you know Champagne socialist types, although I'm not a champagne socialist, obviously. <laughs> I never thought that listening to you. No, no, but you know, a couple of relatively privileged I- individuals who are quite well off talking about, you know, the people who are suffering as a result of immigration. And I get all that, you know, but there is a difference between somebody who says, look, I really do think actually there's way too many Somalis living in um, one particular part of, of London um, yeah. and they have a problem with it and they, t- they tell me why and that's fine. But to say things like, you know, that, you know, it's not our country anymore i'm sorry yeah. that's not true that's not true and i've got you know just to sort of join you in the mid- meet you in the middle of it i've got every sympathy with people in communities that have been taken over by other communities yeah. or, you know a huge proportion of, of another culture has moved in and they are saying well do you know what i miss what it used to be like mm. uh, and 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 there's too much of it right here yes. you know and 
I, I sympathise with yeah. that. But and I think actually the, the sort of what you would call the kind of um, liberal approach from many governments, and I count all governments in this, not just, you know, the Labour Party, but Tory as well, you know, there has been an, an element of um, laziness, of fear to confront certain things that have gone on um, and to allow sort of political processes to be hood, to be hijacked. I mean, Tower Hamlets, for example, the council there who removed that, that statue in uh, East India Dock or whatever it was last week, um, the guy Milligan, you know, um, they've got their, their population in Tower Hamlets is 32% Bengali. Now, right. I don't have a problem with that. Um, there's some great restaurants over there, but if you were living there and your family had lived there all their lives and for generations as, of white people, you'd probably feel slightly put upon, wouldn't you? Well, you, well, you, you know, you would certainly say to yourself, my gosh, this is a totally different place to the one I grew up in. Yeah. Whether you felt put upon or not, I think you'd have to say, you know, it's down to how you, how you regard your fellow, fellow human yes. man. You know, whether, whether you look at that person based on experience or just based on yeah. what you feel feeling you know but look at people how they judge them by how they actually act rather than right. what you suspect oh for sure act. absolutely but just the kind of the general i suppose what you would call the uh, the scenes on the streets that you see are very yeah. different to what you would be used to seeing say 20 30 years ago that's all a hundred percent different. A hundred percent. Now to go yeah. back to your earlier thing about getting rid of all statues. I mean, that wouldn't actually solve anything, though. That's the problem. It wouldn't solve a thing, and all it would do, I think, would be to polarise people even more. I mean, I saw a story today coming out of Bristol, where the Bishop of Bristol, right, has actually now taken out a couple of windows and covered up a couple of windows in the cathedral because they refer to Colston the slave trader, and I just think that's mad. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's mad as well. I mean, I think these, I think sometimes we take it all too seriously as well, you know, mm. that it's, it's a lump of bronze, you know. I'm these not, are I'm tokens, just, right? These are, you know, but getting rid of a, a statue of Winston Churchill is not going to eradicate racism. No, it's not. But I, I, I'm, and the reason I'm laughing is I, I remember a story by my eldest when he, 10 years ago when he was five. Right. He got invited to, we live near the Arsenal Stadium. Oh, yeah. And he got invited to do a stadium tour from one of his mates' birthday mm. parties. And in the, uh, in the entrance for the directors at Arsenal, there's a, um, there's a, uh, like a bust of Arsene Wenger, right? And right. it's a silver bust, which I always thought was like, Grossly precocious, you know, of a, of a man. While well, he's fo still football, there. football statues are always horrible, aren't they? To have a statue of himself there. Anyway, so the guide's going round and he's saying, "Right, children, there's about ten kids with him." Said, so, "Right, kids, does anybody know who this is a statue of?" And my Theo sticks his hand up and he says, "Yes, son. Who is it?" He says, "Darth Vader." <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Nearly right. That's very funny. <laughs> now let's talk about football, though, because football is back. Uh, tonight, yes. um, and I don't know whether you're going to be excitedly watching it all or whether you're just waiting now for Liverpool to inevitably take the trophy. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, I, so people listening to this will already know the Arsenal-Man City result, which we don't know yet because it's to be played in, in this evening. But my God, if Arsenal can pull off a miracle, and it'd have to be a miracle, and beat City, and if... Liverpool can win the championship at Goodison Park on Sunday, then I'm afraid you're going to have to cancel the next two or three podcasts. <laughs> absolutely blotto for a long time. Now, here's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the game at Good is the game at Goodison. Yeah. Yeah. So, how are they going to handle the Liverpool celebrations? Because you're not going to tell me 
that nobody's going to be anywhere near Goodison Park or nobody's going to be anywhere near the centre of Liverpool if they win. Yeah, there'll be tens of thousands, I would imagine, will congregate. I mean, yeah. as you know, the stadiums are only, you know, a, a football kick away from each other. And I think there'll be... It'll, it's impossible to imagine that there won't be at least thousands of people out there on the streets. Yeah. You know, they've waited 30 years for this. Yeah, exactly. And They're not going to just sit quietly in their living rooms, are they? I wouldn't have thought so. It seems so a bit unlikely. That's a bit of a, a, a bummer, but, I mean, gosh, I can... You know, we'll probably... Someone said to me the other day, you know how Liverpoolians got blamed for the for the first wave because when we played... Oh, that, yes, that's right. It was Atletico Madrid, wasn't it? No doubt we'll now get blamed for the second <laughs> wave, which would be just by, by all the scousers celebrating. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard, to, it's hard to say you would blame somebody for... You can certainly understand why they were so excited. That's yes. I mean, I keep occasionally finding people to disagree with me on this, but I've got a feeling that nobody cares anymore. You know, the way London oh. is at the moment, the way that the people have gone out shopping, um, the way that, you know, people have been marching, you know, going to the beaches, I really don't think... Um, and I've heard from, from various medical people now, I mean, it depends on who you talk to, but they're just saying there isn't going to be a second peak, you know? Nobody's that worried anymore. I hope not. I mean, maybe the fact that no one's that worried will be the cause of the second peak. But well, that's true. I, mean, I think ever since Cummings did what he did, I think everybody's just thought, well, screw you. Yeah. Wasn't we all, you know? Yeah. Um, Have you had any so, more info, by the way, on that a very interesting uh, tale you told me last week about how he is absolutely terrified of it? And... No, only to say that uh, I still believe it to be the case. I haven't mm. heard anything to contradict it. Right. Um, which is not a good look for a guy, you know, making all these decisions if he's... Well, uh, yeah, if, if it's true, which I'm not sure it is. But here's a, I've got a very interesting football story for you, and it's even more amazing than the first bit of which I'm going to tell you now. I, I occasionally look on my blue tick verified followers to see who's following me, and I get followed yeah. by some surprising people. I mean, the reason I had Neil Oliver on the, uh, the the show today is because he started following me on Twitter. You know, Steve Lillywhite, yeah. U2's producer, started following me on Twitter, started getting him on the yeah. show. Do you know who started following me yesterday? Donald Trump. Bernardo Silva. Bernardo Silva? Yes. The Manchester City player. He's got about 377,000 followers. I don't know whether he's done it by mistake. I'm, I'm always, you might be surprised to hear this, but there's a, some, there's, I do have some elements of self-doubt. I always think he must be doing, <laughs> he must be doing it by mistake. He must be following me. For, you must think I'm doing something else. You must think I work in talk sport or something, right? But even more bizarre than that, right, the fact that Bernardo Silva is following me, I looked down his Twitter feed, right, and he's done an interview with Five Live yesterday. Yeah. In yeah. which he says this, I love my Christmas tree. <laughs> He's got a Christmas tree permanently displayed in his house. Yeah. Well, and is it alive? Well, I don't know. I haven't actually watched the video. But 18 months after his tree was put in, it's still there. And he says he loves it and he's never taken it down. And he says it's always Christmas for Bernardo Silva. <laughs> that is Isn't that amazing? Now, how amazing that... would it be if the reason he's following me is that he's been listening to the Thought Police and he's realised in me he has a fellow uh, worshipper of Christmas trees. Well, maybe he just wants to get to me through you. It's possible. It's very possible. But it's very odd, is all I know. You know, very Bernardo strange. Still, Bernardo, if you're listening to this, then, you know, get in touch with us on the Twitter feed. In fact, anybody who's listening to us, make some nice observations about this podcast on Twitter, please, because I always enjoy reading the yes. feedback. Unless... Unless it's one of those couple of people who say, 
Mike Graham's a genius, but that oh, smack Kelly. <laughs> to be fair, there's not many of those. I mean, most people no. abs- absolutely accept that, that that we have some very good conversations. That you're actually a very reasonable man. I know that not to be true, of course, but you know, um, but, but I th- I think it's done well. What we could say is 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 maybe get some because what we haven't done for a while, and if you're still in a fit state to do this next week, um, yeah. is we haven't asked for people to email us recently because we haven't checked that out. So we should we do that. Yeah, we have. And so apologies to anybody who has actually emailed us in the last month or so. <laughs> we haven't, haven't. It's not <laughs> well, it hasn't been easy with the lockdown because, I mean, we used to, I mean, I used to, it seems an age ago that I used to come to your house to record them. That's right. Gosh. Well, do you think we'll ever get back to that? I think so. I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think as as people, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been tested for it, but as people get tests if they want them, as they get the yeah. disease if they if they get it, you know, I think we'll yeah. move into a period of time where people go, well, actually, I've had it, so I can just meet up with you because you've had it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think it was better, wasn't it, when we were together? There was a kind of... Well, it's much more difficult to talk on the, on the radio together or on a podcast if you're not actually seeing each other, you know? Yeah, because you talking over each other a lot because you can't quite see when someone's mm. finished or no exactly anyway, yeah, i mean we've managed we've managed to do it reasonably successfully i think and, and and people are still listening so that's good but let me give out the um the the it's thoughtpolicepod at gmail.com thoughtpolicepod at gmail.com so if you send anything to us we'll we'll check them out for next week yeah, any tips you've got for the show or nice things to say, just feel free. Yeah, exactly. What else can we tear apart, Mike? Um, well, I mean, I don't know what else has been going on, really, but, I mean, it's, it feels like um, the shopping business is opening up again. I don't know if you've been out shopping. I mean, I've got my uh, got one of my kids coming up next week um, and, you know, quite excited about going out to the, to the fast food joints, quite excited yeah. about going and f- buying a few clothes, you know. I mean, I refuse to queue up for anything. Um, yeah. But I'm, but I'm, I'm glad to see that, that that you know life is beginning to return to normal effectively. Although I, I was so it was so hard getting into work the other day in the car, I suddenly said I suddenly said to my producer, I said, you know, now I, now I remember why I used to use the tube because it's a lot quicker. But I haven't done that yet. I haven't gone back on public transport yet. Yeah, well, definitely traffic jams are back, aren't they? All yeah, of a sudden, uh, for sure. And we went to McDonald's the other day for the first time and. I had a nice McFlurry, which was absolutely delicious. And yeah, I had yeah, a Big Mac the, last week. We do appreciate you start to appreciate things a bit more, don't you? You certainly do. And what about your son's birthday? Because I saw his uh, your birthday cake in the picture and everything, and it was rather um, what can we say? So we say it was a bit risque. Is that appropriate? Well, uh, we had his parents had absolutely nothing to do with its manufacture, <laughs> but his sister, his sister loves baking. Right? Uh, Is she, she younger than him? She is eight. She's thirteen, and okay. he's fifteen. Right. She loves. Baking. She doesn't like clearing up after baking, but she loves baking. And she baked him a cake, which was her version of a cigarette and a load of marijuana leaves. Right. Which um, I I was in two minds as to whether or not to throw it away or mm. to just let it be a joke. Right. But, uh, we let it be a joke on the basis that I don't think me chucking a cake out is going to make much difference. No. But, it was, yeah. It was, it was, it was bittersweet. It was kind of like, my gosh, you know, he's growing up very fast. I hope he isn't on marijuana. But yeah. then, well, it's all you can was. hope, isn't it? Yeah. Well, a lot of kids were, and I suspect I probably had had a puff of marijuana by the time I was his age. Yes. Well, Not- this is the thing when you talk about that, and you go, you know, when I'm talking about my 15 year old, and I say to his mother, "Well, what were you doing when you were 15?" And you know, curl your hair. So, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. we were certainly drinking. Uh, certainly yeah. doing things which may or may not have been illegal 
Um, and when I, as I say, when I took my kids out to um, to California to see their older stepbrother, you know, there's places selling marijuana legally. So what do you say? Yeah. Totally. Well, some of my best friends smoke regularly. On a uh, California guys yeah. smoke marijuana regularly, right. and they're the most upstanding, most upstanding, intelligent, posh people you could ever meet. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'd rather he didn't. Uh, I hope. I hope he has. All of the fun stuff I did, um, and and more of it, and none of the the nasty stuff that uh, you look back and you think, oh god, I yes. could have done without skewing up all that perno. And oh, I know. All over the I mean, he'll probably have a few of those moments, but also you don't want him getting into anything which is too dangerous. And that I think at the moment, I would say if you've got a teenager, I would always um, a, a sort of advise against getting involved in anything druggy because it's just you know the, the, the drugs are so strong now, and you just don't want them getting involved yeah. in it really. Well, I know. I, I mean, seriously, I I know of people who've got kids not that much older than than my lad yeah. who uh, let them smoke quite openly in their oh, own bedrooms. Yeah, uh, I just think that that is that is an open door to a nightmare. That I think it want. is because also part of the reason you do it is because your parents don't know you do it. You know, if yeah. they let you do it, then where do you go? You then start doing even worse things, maybe. Yeah, and as everyone says, the difference between marijuana today and and when we were of that age and disposition is is it's like night and day it's uh, oh it is yeah stronger and 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 uh and more psychotic and, and more psychotic that's precisely the yeah. word i was looking for yeah okay well i think the studio time is up so um we shall call it to a to a close i can all i can do is wish you luck tonight uh, so you want yeah. arsenal to beat man city basically Arsenal to beat City and Liverpool to beat Everton and then the trophy is ours. And then we shall regroup <laughs> several days yeah. after that to see if you've recovered. <laughs> great stuff. Yeah, great stuff. Cheers, Cheers everyone. See you later. The biggest complaints I've ever provoked in a newspaper, and, and this is a fairly competitive list, but the biggest one was when I, on my first week at the Daily Mirror, mm. redesigned the puzzle pages of the Daily Mirror and placed the crossword across the fold of the paper. Oh, God. The paper yeah. Off. Honestly, mate, the switchboards melted down. I was almost fired. What bloody idiot right. think of doing a crossword puzzle when it was folded in half on your knee? Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. We shouldn't just think that the news agenda is, is the be-all and end-all. No, because, again, I mean, there have been several instances where I've listened to people speaking and, you know, you and I are news junkies. We read all the stuff that's going on. We know what's going on. We like to think we do anyway. You know, but the vast bulk of the population don't. You know, one, because they're not really interested. Two, because they can't be bothered. Three, uh, because they haven't maybe got the time. They're too busy doing other things, you know. So, therefore, I'm a great believer in kind of, uh, you know, telling people what's going on and I've had to sort of look at what I do here at Talk Radio because what I don't want to do uh, is be one of those people who's accused of, of you know riling people up and I'm, I'm being a much I would say I'm now much more considered about everything knowing how much more serious this is in a way than Brexit yeah. you know because where we are right now is quite a dangerous place and I'm, I'm very conscious of that and I, I don't want to be accused and I don't want to do it either uh, of, of, of riling people up I think that those who hearken back to a, a, a rosier time are really talking about a time where there were so many immigrants. I think you're absolutely right. And I think, um, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head and you have made the leap that I was sort of edging towards. Yeah. I looked down his Twitter feed, right, and he's done an interview with Five Live yesterday yeah. in yeah. which he says this. 
I love my Christmas tree. <laughs> He's got a Christmas tree permanently displayed in his house. <laughs> 